This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. We always have so much to get into, ladies and gentlemen, on the program, and we know that it's hard to keep track. So, what good way is to kind of do a reset, kind of recoup some of that time and share with you some of the segments that we, through the week, wow, thought may merit some other comment, whether it be from us or just some thought that may have come to us later on. We call the segment Cut for Time and uh, gives you some also ideas, things you can find via the podcast. Subscribe. Go back and listen to these, either it's in segment form or the complete podcast experience. Well, Ramya Muthan, of course, she's right there at the studio in Toronto. We'll get there in just a second. We also welcome in Grant Hardy, who's at his home studio uh, in BC, out in Vancouver, and myself, Kelly McDonald, as we uh, settle in to go through Cut for Time. Ram, would you get us started, please? Yep. Going back to Tuesday, we had a lot of great conversations. This one was with Dr. Danielle Johnkind, our veterinarian. And she talked about skin conditions in cats. And here she is talking about one of the more common issues she encounters. Well, there are a lot of skin problems that can affect both cats and dogs and, you know, some that can even be passed between them. Um, You know, I I do see certain problems much more commonly in cats. Um, For example, you know, there's a fungal infection that attacks hair follicles and um, in medical vernacular, medicalese, as I like to call it, you know, it's called dermatophytosis. But um, the common name for it that most people recognize, if they recognize it at all, is ringworm. And as an aside, the, the common name always struck me as kind of odd, considering there are no worms involved with this problem mm. at all. But I digress. <laughs> um, you know, I think um, I see probably about two or three cats a year with this particular skin problem. And most of them are kittens. And honestly, in the last 24 years since I graduated, I, I can recall only seeing one dog with it. Um, so, you know, definitely there are some problems that we see, we tend to see more in cats than in dogs. Convo was insightful because we were talking specifically about skin conditions in cats and she brought a lot to the table that I really was legitimately not aware of that we're so different oftentimes i think when we uh say cats and dogs like you know pets of cats and dogs we think they go through very similar things not at all uh, especially when it comes to the skin condition convo but what i was really um intrigued about and when i left that convo it's odd about all week was just that how do we as low vision or blind people get to the bottom of some of the things that go on? How do we keep track of symptoms, especially things like skin conditions? And I I think there are a lot of ways. Obviously, there's the tactile. Um, Sometimes it's just a matter of like odor or smelling things and keeping track of what may be be different than what you're used to with your animal. But other times it's also behavioral things, right? Do you notice that your dog or your cat is behaving differently in certain ways that you may not be able to pick up... um, tactilely or you know by touch by saying oh there's something on his or her body that wasn't there before or that is agitating them but you know behaviorally what are they doing differently right and um I think for me when I first got Glasgow because he was my first pet ever or 
Okay, I had a hamster before that, but that's a different story. Um, when Glasgow came home, I had to notice a lot of things that I didn't know what I was necessarily noticing them for, but I thought I should keep track that, you know, he reacts like this when he's stressed. He responds like this when he's anxious or, uh, you know, he's trying to tell me this, but I missed it the last 70 times because I didn't realize that's what he was trying to communicate. So, uh, you know, there's the aspect of just like taking your dog and cat to the vet and saying, hey, there's something that might be going on or this is our annual checkup, what is going on? But there's also just like paying acute attention to the tiny details of behavior, of, um, you know, changes in their routine or just like they're doing something that feels a little off. And I've I think I've done a reasonable job, but the insecurity of it is that we're always missing something because we can't see it or spot it in time. Like with the pizza situation, like you just don't know. And then later he's sick potentially. And I'm thinking, what happened? I don't, I don't, nothing has changed. We walked to work, we walked home and he ate what he usually eats. So uh, there's just that like, I guess a little bit of anxiety and uh, insecurity that's in the background when you are the primary handler for a pet or a, a service animal or a guide dog grant. Yeah, I think this raises a couple of really interesting points. Uh, one is just one has to feel, and this applies really universally across all uh, uh, people who have pets, service animals, working animals, uh, is just that animals can't communicate in the same way yeah. we do. And that's such mm -hmm. a disadvantage for them yeah. because at least I can sort of say, okay, I don't know exactly what's going wrong, but this part of my body is mm. not feeling so good, but they, they just don't have that ability. At plus, especially dogs, I'm not really sure about cats. Cats might be a little more off, but dogs will often just work and play through pain, yep. uh, which again, puts everybody at, at more of a disadvantage. Uh, so that's really unfortunate. The other thing in particular, I think for those of us with uh, disabilities is that, uh, you know, sometimes I think when we get, again, either pets or service animals, other people around us might want to help with their care. But actually, I've always been told it's really important that you do all of the care as mm -hmm. much as you're able to with your dog, including picking up after they go to the bathroom, you know, monitoring their habits, everything like that, because that's actually all those things, grooming, bathroom stuff are any sort of changes in behavior are an excellent way to pick up on right. changes in health. So I've always been told, you know, instead of just kind of like passing some stuff off because you don't really feel like, you know, doing it, uh, you know, what, whatever is, it's really important to develop that bond of trust and, yes, and for sure. care. And part of that is helping with the care, Kelly. Yeah, I would think it to be number one crucial. I mean, yes, I understand sometimes, especially if you have a disability or some things you may need that help with or somebody to take care of. But I think even knowing your animal, the cuddles, the hugs, the yep. exploration of the fur, everything like that, that may almost seem a bit intrusive, but I know it's your way of knowing whether you can see or not, it's your way of picking up on the reaction or uncomfortable or something that may not be normal where otherwise you feel like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not, what am I doing here? I'm, you know, but you do have to look in the fur and check and just be sure that there's not, you know, strange spots or something there that, that shouldn't be or, or, or you know, bruises or, or bone stuff going on. Um, it's that being familiar uh, and part of that care, I'd imagine too. And I, I know generally cats have a higher pain thresholds. So... Mm -hmm. 
you just never know. Um, registered nurse Leslie DePoe stopped by on Wednesday to talk New Year's resolutions. In this particular clip, she uh, explains an analogy that you can use to keep your res res resolutions. But if you are somebody who reflects, which is always a really healthy thing to do, especially for your mental health, mm. is to take a look back and talk about what you want to do forward, what worked for you, what didn't work for you. Then what do we talk about in order to have a goal that we think is going to go well? So um, oddly enough, it's it's something we learned in nursing school um, is a SMART goal. And we use that as an mm -hmm. acronym. So specific, measurable, attainable R and I'll remember that one. And then uh, and T is timely. Relevant is the R. I always forget the R, right. which probably says something about me. Um, so specific. <laughs> um, if you're going to change a habit, you need to know what it is you want to change. So you got to really dial it in. So when people say, for example, I want to have better finances. What does that actually mean? Yeah. Do you want to, and even I want less debt, to be honest, isn't right. really specific yeah. enough, right? Okay. So for me, I took away the ART so much, right? <laughs> Obtainable because can I do it? Would I do it is what I turn that into for myself. Hey, I, I want to start doing this. Yeah, but what's the means that I'm going to do? What am I going to use? How likely am I if I do it A, that way? Maybe not. B, more likely. Um, the relevant. What is, where does it stand in my line of important things to take care of in my life? Well, for me, a lot of time, whatever it is related to health, I know I've got to, you know, always work at that, watching what I eat, making sure I go to doctor's appointments, just taking it easy and saying, yeah, you're a little older now. You can't do some of the things that you used to want to do and you can talk a big game. That doesn't mean you're going to be able to throw yourself on the floor necessarily and play goal ball the way you did when you mm -hmm. were like 17. Um, and timing for sure, as we talked about, what's this January mean? What's this New Year's mean? It comes with, I'm ready now to do that. And there are so many things I've had people tell me of recent, whether it's a procedure, a surgery, some real important heavy things, and I'm not even necessarily talking about that. I'm talking things you may want to improve, get into doing a habit you may want to stop, as we talked earlier in the week with Fern about habits. Um, it really comes down to that timing of, I'm ready to do that now. Mm. So the ART, the art in that smart, really, for me, Ramya meant an awful lot. Yeah, that's... Such a good point about being ready, being open, because, you know, when you reflect back, and we talked about the reflection in so many different ways over this week as well, when you reflect back to different stages and phases of your life, you weren't always ready, right? Like, we we aren't always ready for everything. And even right now, we may not be ready for certain things we resist or don't, uh, are not necessarily yet aware of the changes, the... Um, response to feedback that just that openness of like yeah i i think i can understand what you're saying even if i'm not necessarily there yet and that is a gradual process and it the encouragement or the patience that people around us but also ourselves like the, that we have to have with ourselves is uh, quite monumental because it's hindsight, right? Like you can't necessarily know that you're going to get there until you get there and reflect back and say, yeah, I've made a lot of great, maybe incremental, but a lot of great um, progress in this amount of time. Progress is everything with it, isn't it? Yeah. Because you do have to remind yourself. I love what you said at the top of that segment. 
about being able to look back as much as like whether it's New Year's Eve or the third or, or, or November 5th, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. It's mm -hmm. looking back and that's what I find because you do got to be able to say, hey, you know what? I haven't done too bad with that. Yeah. Pat myself on the back, recognize, or yeah, I still Sometimes know. even that requires some perception or change in perception. It does. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Grant, how about you? Yeah, it's amazing how socially constructed this all is, isn't it? Like, the, there is a real concept of years, uh, of course, the seasons, uh, but the, the whole idea of, like, January 1st being the, the start of the new year is just very human made um but yeah i i definitely think that life is life is really a journey as we know and if we can convert resolutions goals into things that inspire us rather than things that shame us and especially more baby steps or uh achievable yes. attainable steps i mean i would i would love to get a little bit further on my journey of you know health and fitness but i know that tomorrow i'm not going to be switching out all my food for healthy food and you know becoming a gym mm. rat and this and that is it's just not going to happen so coming up with something a little more uh, like attainable and these goals to keep in mind throughout the year rather than really focusing on coming up with 20 resolutions on january 1st and then you're here all right. Uh, yesterday, you guys spoke with Kevin Shaw, and he talked all things about business lunches. Here he is explaining what they are. So it's not to chow down. I, I, that's <laughs> I was usually the purpose of that. like a normal oh. lunch when you're just by yourself. Yeah. Uh, the purpose of a business lunch is to add some kind of a, a social situation and, and to build some rapport maybe with some people on your team, maybe it's with a client, maybe it's with a, a, a potential customer, maybe it's with uh, somebody who's going to hire you. Um, lunches are just great ways of breaking the ice and getting people into a situation where they can build that rapport and um, develop a business relationship that is ultimately gonna benefit both parties. I, I thought this would kind of be an interesting conversation just to talk about networking and because networking is something that people in minority groups, I think, are at an incredible disadvantage, dare I say. Uh, I've, I've heard, you know, people in, in feminist communities talking about this, uh, people with disabilities, of, of course, uh, are in this position where, you know, let's be honest, a lot of opportunities, a lot of jobs, a lot of networking happens on the golf course or, you know, at fancy restaurants where everybody has suits or, you know, fa like fancy outfits and knows how to, how to, can afford them and knows how to dress up and knows how to eat, you know, with um, perfect etiquette kind of thing. And I find that so interesting, um, these discussions, because I think that's something that affects us in the blind community uh, and low vision community, because we may not have always been taught about, uh, okay, you know, nobody, everyone's got their appies, whatever. How are people eating these? How are people sharing these? Are people eating yet? Uh, what is sort of the etiquette behind that, uh, Ramya? Curious to know your thoughts on what we can do to improve that networking experience 
in like a minute or how much of a disadvantage do you feel that is mm. for us? Well, I've always felt we're at a disadvantage, right? Like going to any kind of networking session, whether or not there's food involved, I was always like, oh gosh, am I dressed the way that everybody is supposed to be dressed? Did I even ask the right questions? Like there's so much small talk and all of that involved. It just becomes overwhelming. But um, these conversations with Kevin, if anything, are just helpful because he gives you full on tips, right? Like A, B, C, D, E. Uh, but also I do think too, when we compare all the different conversations we have about employment on the show, that the environment is changing. Like the atmosphere around work and around socializing is changing. There's a lot more casual to be recognized and a lot more transparency and vulnerability to be recognized. So I feel like we got to continue bridging that gap between like, I'm disabled and I don't know how to do this and I need all the tips in the world versus you know, corporate, this is how you perform. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think it puts so much stress on people and we've learned how much through almost everything we do at a, at a workplace. Yeah. We've learned how many things put stress on us and we stop and say, why do we allow that? Or worse than that, I know sometimes it's the nature of the job you may do or the situation, but what can we do to lessen the stress? Obviously be responsible and there's life or death situations, but most of our jobs are not that. So. What do we do to make things better in that work environment? And that has become more of the conversation. And I think whether it's a work gathering, stuff where you don't feel even stressing about or don't have to feel anymore. I got to stress where I'm getting this suit to wear at the event. Uh, Grant, thank you very much. Great uh, item to pick out. Thanks, folks. Grant Hardy, our reporter and producer out in Vancouver for Kelly and Rumya, joining us as we do this segment called Cut for Time. You can check these segments out via the Kelly and Rumya podcast. We step aside for a couple of moments. We'll give you an idea what's coming up over the weekend on AMI-audio and on AMI-tv. We have a closing moment. Hopefully you'll uh, get a kick out of this one. Something to think about that takes you back almost 40 years. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.